Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Our Father, we come before you and we ask in simple faith. But tonight, as we spend time speaking your word, as we spend time sitting with the Bible, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to please lead us through the word. Reveal the truth to us, Father Almighty God. We ask that when you do so, we are changed to be just like you. And Father, as we spend time in the word and as we teach the word, may the power of the Lord be present to heal in whatever form or manner. Father, we thank you for all who are on this call, all who join by podcast. And Father Almighty God, let no one go away without a miracle. We thank you for your kindness, Lord. We thank you for all that you do. Take absolute control. In Jesus' name, we honestly have prayed. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, um, we started last week with the two weeks on bringing the promises of God to pass. And we're going to continue tonight, but we're going to go a slightly different, um, a slightly different way, but we're looking at bringing God's promises to pass. And so the reason we want to focus on that is that we have some great promises over our life and any promise that you are holding onto from scripture, we want, we realized from last week, it is God's intention to bring it to pass. And so let's, go over for um let's just remind ourselves as we begin tonight let's just remind ourselves as we begin tonight what promises we have over us as a church and if you're listening by podcast over your life as well and so there, there are three that we're we're holding on to in jesus house and they've come in pretty quick succession and so let's just remind ourselves of those and then we'll dig into tonight the first thing um the first one is Isaiah 43. I'll read that. Um, I'll read that from the King James Version of the Bible, verses 18 and 19. That's Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. And the Bible says, this is the, one of the promises we're holding on to as a church. Um, and the Bible says the following, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Verse 19 says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? The second part of that says, I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so, ladies and gentlemen, that promise says that God's bringing us to a season where what has happened before will come to an end. At the same time, he says he will do a new thing. He will do it. He will cause it to spring forth. We will pick it up. But then what he then said he would do is he will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So if you find yourself, ladies and gentlemen, in a desert or in a, a, a very dry place, that could be in any form, shape or manner, or in a wilderness that is a place of high winds, a place relatively uninhabitable, a very difficult spot. I want you to realize God has said over your life, 
And this is one of the promises we're holding on to, that he will begin a new season in your life. And that season will be characterized by the miraculous. He said, I'll make rivers appear in the desert. I will make a way in the wilderness. And so that's one of the promises we're holding on to. The second promise that we're holding on to, this one I will read. Um, it's Song of Solomon 2, and I will read it in the Passion Translation. And the Bible says the following. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. And the season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Verse 13, can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? Early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers. There is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place, for now is the time to arise and come away with me. So that's the second, that's the second promise we're holding on to. And ladies and gentlemen, the reason we're going over it like this is we want those promises to come to pass. We want them to happen in your life. Um, we want them to happen in your life right now we want it to come to pass that's a, so those are two so those are two key things um so that is song of solomon 2 and that's 11 to 14 and it's in the tpt version and so ladies and gentlemen what we want you to realize is we want those promises to come to pass the reason it's not just a buzz for us to receive them they must become a reality in your life and that's what we're looking at we're looking at how to bring God's promises to pass. The third one is the one we looked at last week, and that's the launch out into the deep one, which we're holding on to this particularly, and that's in Luke 5, okay? Luke 5, and we read that last week, and I'll read very quickly, and I'll read it, ladies and gentlemen, in the Bible in basic English. And the Bible says, now it came about that while the people came pushing to be near him and to have knowledge of the word of God, he was by a wide stretch of water named Genesaret. And he saw two boats by the edge of the water, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the property of Simon, and made a request to him to go a little way out from the land. Being seated, he gave the people teaching from the boat. And when his talk was ended, he said to Simon, go out into the deep and let down your nets for fish. And Simon answering said, Master, we were working all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they got such a great number of fish that it seemed as if their nets would be broken. And they made a sign. To, then they made signs to their friends in the other boats to come to their help. And they came and the two boats were so full that they were going down. But Simon, when he saw it, went down on at the knees of Jesus and said, go away from me, O Lord, for I am a sinner. For he was full of wonder 
And so were all those who were with him at the number of fish which they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were working with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, have no fear. From this time forward, you will be a fisher of men. When they got their boats to the land, they gave up everything and went after him. And so, ladies and gentlemen, this is the promise we're holding out onto this year. And the key element is found in verse four and five. Jesus said to Simon, go out into deep water and let down your nets for fish. And so, ladies and gentlemen, over our lives this year, these are the promises we're holding on to. And it is our desire that these and any promise you are holding on to that is found in scripture, ladies and gentlemen, we want them to come to pass. So we are looking at how to bring them to pass. And so what, as we begin tonight, so those are our three promises. So as we begin tonight, if you ever wondered that when God gives me a promise, what does he want to achieve? Let's look at what Jesus says. And it's a, it's a blanket statement. Um, John 10, 10, and I'll read from the King James Version of the Bible. When God gives you a promise, ladies and gentlemen, he has one thing in mind. The Bible says the following. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have, might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So ladies and gentlemen, whenever God gives you a promise, um, whenever God gives you a promise, he wants to give you life and he wants to give you abundance. We know this to be true because of what Jesus says about his words. And so if you turn with me to John 6, 63, so we're just going to do a little bit of a Bible study around this, and then we'll get into the meat of it. John 6, 63 says the following, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit first, and they are life second. And so, ladies and gentlemen, whenever God gives you a promise, he's transferring life from himself into you. That means it becomes the source of all that God wants to do. Okay, it becomes all the things that, you, that he wants to do. And I want you to keep this in mind. When God decides to pour life into you, it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable, and he does it through his word. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you in, are believing God for anything at all, please realize if you're holding on to a promise that you found in the Bible, an assurance that this is who God is, this is what God will do, I want you to realize that God's intention is very simple. It is that he wants to give you life and life more abundant. That means not just enough for you. It's enough to cover everything and enough for you to share. God works in abundance. And as we come up to 714, where we'll pause to take our declaration, I, I want you to realize how, how successful God is at transferring life to you. And then we'll go on, um, then we'll go on to our scripture. 
And I'm going to go to Isaiah 55, and I'm going to go to verse 11. And the Bible says, remember, when God gives you a promise, he gives you his word, and he transfers life to you. And the Bible says the following. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So we realize, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm just going to keep this verse as a focus, just before we go into 714, please keep this in mind. When God sends his word, it is infallible that the word will fail. So there's one side of the promise that is infallible. So when God gives you a promise, his side of the bargain is infallible. For the promise to come to pass on our side is what we're going to look at today. And that's really important. So we're at 714, ladies and gentlemen. So let's take our declaration. Oh, Lord, we are your people called by your name. We humble ourselves and we pray. We seek your face and we turn from our wicked ways. Hear from heaven, Lord. Forgive our sins and heal our land. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Now let's make our declaration. We declare that our land is healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so, ladies and gentlemen, like we said in Isaiah, amen to that consistently. And wherever you are in the world, ladies and gentlemen, may that be your testament. So we've paused for a moment just to look at the fact that when God sends his word into your life, he wants life to appear. So God never sends a promise into your life to cause you harm, to cause you distress, or to take anything from you. He wants to transfer something to you. Jesus said, I am come that you may have life and life more abundant. We realize when God wants to transfer life into you, he does so through his word. And where we read last, just before the declaration, was Isaiah 55, 11. And it's worth reading again. And I want you to realize this is how successful God is at transferring life to you. And the Bible says the following, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That means wherever God sends a promise, he has an assurance in the power in his word and the power behind it, that it will do what it says it will do. So ladies and gentlemen, over our lives this year, we have three words. God will begin a new season. God will start a new day of destiny. And ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to launch out into the deep. It's time for there to be a fundamental shift and may you enclose a great catch that will change your life forever. So that's those are the promises we're looking at. So let's look at the keys that will allow the promises of God to come to pass. And we're going to use a familiar scripture and it will give us a framework to look at three of, three of the keys that we can add to what we learned last week so that the promises come to pass. Um, please turn in your Bible to Mark 4. And I'm going to read from 1 to 20. Mark 4, 1 to 20. And I'm going to read the modern King James. And the Bible says the following. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was a great crowd gathered so that he entered into a boat and sat in the sea. 
And the whole crowd was on the land by the seaside. And he taught them many things by a parable. And he said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, it happened that indeed some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and ate it up. And another fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And it sprang up at once due to not having deepness of earth. When the sun rose, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And another fell among the thorns, among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And another fell on good ground and yielded fruit, going up and increasing. And one bore thirty, and one sixty, and one a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they who were about him, with the twelve, asked him concerning the parable. And he said to them, to you, it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, all these things are given in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you not know this parable? How then will you know all parables? Verse 14, the sower sows the word very similar to the way we get our promises. Exactly how we get our promises. This is what the Bible does. When God wants to sow, he sends his word. But let me go to verse, I'll read to verse 20 and then we'll, we'll come back and break it down. And these are those by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are those likewise being sown on stony places who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves but are temporary. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, they are immediately offended. And these are those being sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world and the deceit of riches and the lust about other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Verse 20, and these are those sown on good ground, who hear the word and welcome it and bear fruit, 130, 160, and one a hundredfold. And so, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jesus speaking about, it's the parable of the sower. The reason it's so important, it's where he explains how the kingdom of God functions. He says, how will you know all the parables if you don't know this one? And in it, he gives us three keys that we are going to look at that we need to realize about bringing God's word to pass. And so we're going to start. So verse we've already said, so verse 14 has already been made clear. Verse 14 says the sower sows the word. And, I, and I'll say this, and we've already spoken about it already. When God wants to transfer something from himself to you, he will speak. He will give you his word. He will transfer his word to you. And we've realized that when God sends his word to you, he's transferring life. That means anything in your life, anything that does not, uh, that is not alive, anything in your life that is currently dead, dormant, distressed, oppressed, or challenged, the Bible says when God wants to make a difference, he will send the word into your life and that will cause a change because he will transfer life from himself to you. Now, to back that up, before we move on, ladies and gentlemen, if you could come with me, please, 
to John chapter 1, verse 4. John chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 5. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. And so, ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to realize is this. Whenever God speaks to you, he wants to transfer life from himself into your situations. So be encouraged. So if your situations are that you're in a wilderness or that you are in a desert, if your situations are that it seems like the seasons around your life have not turned, if it feels like you've been fishing in shallow water, you've toiled a lot and you have caught little or nothing, the Lord is saying life is coming. So life is about to come into your life. And that's something I want you to please keep in mind that when God speaks to you, he wants to transfer life. So the promises that we have and any promise you're holding on to, we realize, and I want you to really hold on to this. I, 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 it's being impressed in my spirit. God wants to transfer life to you, okay? Life. All right, let's go to the next thing. So let's go back to Mark 4, which we're using as a framework um, for good reason, and I'll explain in a moment. Mark 4, and we're going to verse 15. And all right, so Mark 4, verse 15. So key number one, we know now we've got the promises. So how do we keep the promises? How do the promises of God come to pass so that life comes into any area of our lives where life is not? How, what are the keys? Key number one. So this is the first key. And the Bible says, Jesus says it this way. And these are those by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, we're going to break this down. So what I'm going to do, and this is the beauty of, of a Bible study, and I hope this helps you shape your Bible study. When you read something, especially in the Gospels, if the story is found in two or three places, read wherever you find it. You can find that in the concordance. And so the parable of the sower is told also by Matthew. And we'll go to Matthew's, um, Matthew's version. And I'm only going to go to the specific section, which is um, verse. I'm going to the, the first key. So I'm going to, just going to go to the the specific section um okay all right and that's that will be at verse 19 so uh, we're going to go to matthew 13 same story and i'm going to start from i'll turn to 19 but if you stay there it will be great um so matthew 13 verse 19 and jesus is now explaining to the disciples, the same thing he's explained in Mark 4. And the Bible says the following. He says, while anyone is hearing the word of the kingdom and does not grasp, and I'm reading from the Amplified Classic Version, and does not grasp and comprehend it, 
the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the roadside. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to, to please understand is this. Ma um, Matthew says when God gives you a promise, the only time it can be stolen, that means it can't be destroyed. Stolen means it is taken away so it cannot go through the process of planting and ending up as a harvest. But it still exists. It's, it can only be moved away from you. Please keep this in mind. The Bible says the only condition that allows Satan to steal a promise, that means to stop a promise. And when I say steal, he literally steals the word from you. This is key. He only can do that if the promise is not understood. And the question I wanted to ask is, what does that mean? How do I know that I've understood a promise? Um, and so let me read, and I'm going to, I'm just going to switch to the King James Version of the Bible. And I'm going to stay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to stay in Matthew 13, because Jesus really explains it beautifully. So what does it mean not to understand a promise? Listen to what Jesus says. Um, and I'm going to read from verse 10 of Matthew 13. This is what the disciples asked him. He said, and the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, and whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away, even that that he hath. Verse 13 of Matthew 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Remember the condition. The condition for Satan stealing a promise is that the person who is given the promise does not understand what they are holding. I'll give you an example. If you cannot read, unfortunately, and there are people that can, and I'm not being cruel or mean, if you happen to be in a country where you can't read the language rather than you weren't taught, or that you did, you haven't had the opportunity to learn. This is, let's say you're in a country that you can't read the language and they give you a piece of paper that you don't know what the writing says, it's just symbols. Someone can come up to you and say, oh, can I have that piece of paper? Let me give you four of mine. You don't realize that you are giving him a higher value note and he's giving you lower value notes. So let's say you've got a 50 whatever note, whatever the, the currency may be, um, a 50, we'll call it dollars, $50 note or a $100 note. Someone, if you cannot read or you do not understand that this is money, someone can come and offer you five ones and say, listen, and, this, and I've heard this trick played on children. Well, I've got five and you've got one. If I give you five, you have more than me. 
So I'll take your one because I really appreciate you. And I'm going to give you five. And you walk away thinking, you know what? That was a great deal. The people in this country are wonderful. I have five. That person has one. And I'm good. What he has done is robbed you. He's given you something of lower value or no value at all. And that's what it means not to understand. Now, listen, please listen carefully. Jesus says, the people I'm speaking to in parables, they don't understand. But he then goes on to say, um, I'll read from verse 14 of Matthew 13. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. And then he goes on and says, this people's heart is wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Then he makes a statement. He says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And then he says, so that means the disciples have something the people that don't know that Jesus is who he says he is, who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the disciples and those around them, not just the 12, those who have come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, he says, you who believe have been granted the ability to understand your eyes see and your ears hear. He said, those who don't believe find themselves hearing what I'm saying and it comes to them as parables. They can't work it out because they have not believed that I am who I say. Now, that's a beautiful piece of information because that means, ladies and gentlemen, if you have believed in Jesus Christ and accepted him as Lord and Savior, the Bible says when you are given a promise, you have the ability to hear what God is saying and see. But basically, you can understand. That means you have ownership. When you, if you were given, let's go back to the, to the example of the person with the piece of money. If you were given that $100 bill, you'll know what its value is. That means when someone comes and offer you five $1 bills, you will say, no, I don't want it. Why? Because I understand that this is mine and I understand its value. Jesus says that's the only condition that will allow Satan to steal a promise. He says, if they don't believe, it's me. And so let me read on, and then I'll, we'll come to, I'll read to verse 17 from 15. I'll read, I'll read from six, we're at 16, and we'll go to 17. He said, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. He then says, for verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Now listen to verse 18. He then says, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Pause for a moment. 
That means, ladies and gentlemen, whenever you are given a promise and you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, which, and I'm, we're going to break that down in a moment, and you believe that that's the case, ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to realize is the Holy Spirit will kick in and he will make sure that you understand you have been given something valuable. The Bible says Jesus now explains what he said to the disciples so that they can take advantage of it. In the very same way, God wants to do the same for you. So key number one for ensuring that your promises have come to pass, come to pass, is the acceptance and belief that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Now, let's pause for a moment. So why is that so important? Let's have a look at a few scriptures to drive that home. Why is that so important? Come with me. This is one of my favorites, and it's this. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians 1, verse 20. The Bible says, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are men to the glory of God by us. That means as long as I've accepted Jesus, from that moment forward, if there is a promise in the Bible, there is nothing in between me and that promise being fulfilled because of what Jesus has done. So the first thing that you have when you hear a promise, so when you hear from, from a pulpit or you read in the Bible, let's say take a promise and launch out into the deep for a draft, and the Bible says that when Peter launched out, he caught a draft and it changed his life. Then you know for a fact that there is nothing in between you and the fulfillment of that promise in this season of your life. So when you hear God saying that I will do a new thing, you will perceive it, that you can forget the old. And then he says, I will make rivers in deserts and I will make ways in wilderness that be, once you've accepted Jesus, this is how understanding kicks in. You know that there's nothing stopping me from hearing and accepting that God is saying that's yours. So that once you hear a promise, what do you do? You can claim it. When you claim something, it is indicative of ownership, okay? It is indicative for ownership. I will come to your questions. I will, I will stop enough for time for your questions. That is absolutely great. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. I will come to your questions, so please hold on to that. Don't worry, I'll come to it. So what I want you to realize is when you hear a promise, because of what Jesus has done, you have a right to claim it. Why? Because ownership is in him. And he says, what I have, I've given to you. So let's have a look at that. So when we realize that Jesus is the success of what Jesus did in my life is total. I am saved and my relationship with God the Father is intact. 
you realize when you now hear a promise, you can claim it because, listen carefully, because of what Jesus has done. That means I can claim over my life that this is my year of rivers in deserts. This is my year of ways in the wilderness. This is my dawn of a new beginning. This is my new day of destiny. I can claim it. Why? Because I'm claiming it in Christ. Because Christ has everything that God is offering you. He won it on your behalf. When you now understand that what Jesus did was successful, you will then realize when it comes to a promise, any promise you find in the Bible, you can claim it with the assurance that God has said, the permission is yes, and the execution has been made available, and the power to get it done has been released. So let me put that in a scripture, so hopefully it will make it simpler, because this is how your promises come to pass. It is when you realize that Jesus is who he says he is, and he has done what he said he would do, which is restore our relationship with the Father. But let's have a look at that in scripture. So let's have a look at two. The first scripture I want us to look at is this. Um, come with me to John chapter 3.16. And this is something I want you to realize. Notice what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. When God gives you a promise, what is he transferring? Life. This is life that nobody can stop. And so what I want you to realize is once you accept and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then you have a right to claim the promises that are found in the Bible. Let me go to another scripture that I would like you to look at, because Jesus says this in many ways. John chapter 16 and I'm going to read from 13 to 15. Um, John 16, 13 to 15. And I'm going to read from 13. And the Bible says the following. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, he shall speak. Speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he will announce to you things to come. That's fantastic. Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will receive of mine and will announce it to you. And then Jesus explains why. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and will announce it to you. Pause. That means when God gives you a promise, Jesus says that it's because God has given everything to me. When he gives you a promise, because it is mine, I can say, yes, you can have it. And I can say, it is done. That's why when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. Because he, God has given him everything. He's, and he's, he's transferred everything to Jesus. But then this is the beauty. You and I, ladies and gentlemen, 
are in Jesus Christ. That means everything that Jesus has, you and I have. So let's look at two scriptures to back that up. The first one, ladies and gentlemen, is found in the book of Romans, chapter 8. And the Bible says, yes. Verse 17. The Bible says, um, I'll read from 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ, so that if we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. Pause. A joint heir is different from when they read a will and the what is given out is given out in, a, in amount. So they say, okay, to the older brother, you get this. To the younger brother, you get this. To the older sister, you get this. That's different. A joint heir, the father says, for whatever I have, that means it is equally available to all of you, whatever I've got. So when God gives you a promise, one man has fulfilled the requirements of the law, requirements of he's paid the price of sin and death so that in him, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're going to come to. In him, when God gives you a promise, there's nothing standing in between you and the fulfillment of a promise because you are a child of God. But not only are you a child of God, you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Last scripture to nail this to the, to nail this to the ground. It's one of my favorite phrases, nail to the ground. That means to make it settled. Please come with me. Forgive me if I'm getting excited because I'm having fun. Ephesians chapter one. And it's a really lovely prayer that Paul prays from verse 17. And I'm going to read from, I'm, I'm going to read from 17 to give it context. And the Bible says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us the ones believing according to the working of his mighty strength. Now, pause. What I want you to look at is what did God's mighty strength do? So let's read on. Which he worked in Christ in raising him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality and authority and power and dominion and every name being named, not only in this world, but also in the coming age. That means, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing that is going on in your life that is above the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a different sermon. Verse 22, and he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, that's you and I, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills 
all in all. And then the Bible said, the Bible says in, in chapter two, verse, let's go from verse four. So we nail this to the ground. Ephesians two, verse four, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Now listen to verse six. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. Verse seven says, so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. Notice when Jesus was caused to sit on the right hand of the father, the Bible says God gave him everything, gave him a name that is above every name, gave him all authority, all power, all dominion. But the Bible then says that you and I are also in Christ and he has caused us to sit with him in the heavenly places. That means God has given you and I access to all things, all power, all authority, all the things that God has, all the riches, all the blessings that God has. And how do we access it? Through the name of Jesus. So when God gives you a promise, the first thing that you must do when you hear it is that it's mine in Jesus's name. Why? That means I take ownership of the promise. And this is what I want to close this point out with. Please understand, everybody in the Bible that managed to understand this is who Jesus is, got the miracle that they were asking for. It's a wonderful thought to, 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 to realize. If you have a look at a, follow, a, a few, Mark 10, verse 46, the Bible says, blind Bartimaeus knew who Jesus was. And he said, oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And he wouldn't let it go because he knew who Jesus was. The Bible says heaven stopped on his behalf and he got his miracle. The woman with the issue of blood, Mark 5, reading from 25 to 35. The Bible says, because she knew that if I can just touch him, why? Healing is in him. He is carrying the healing power of the almighty God. The Bible says she got what she was looking for. The centurion, Matthew 8, the Bible says that he understood who Jesus was. And he said, just speak the word. And if you do so, my servant will be healed. Everyone in the Bible that recognized this is who you are got what they were asking for. Pause for a moment. So ladies and gentlemen, what I'm saying is this. Understanding means when God gives you a promise, you realize it is mine because of Jesus Christ. And when you know it is yours, what do you do with it? You claim it. We said something last week, and so please keep that in mind. And so that's the first key. The first key is understanding. When you understand a promise, when you realize that because of what Jesus has done, what God has said is going to come to pass, the Bible says Satan's involvement of stealing it is removed. 
he can no longer steal it. Once you understand that, no, no, this is mine. Healing is mine in Jesus's name. Prosperity is mine in Jesus's name. Because of what Jesus has done on my behalf, you can't take, I mean, and so you begin to realize when you now begin to claim those promises, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, life changes life changes let me close this out and then i'll take I'll, I'll answer the questions romans chapter 8 verse 2 uh romans chapter 8 verse 2 1 and 2 the bible says the following the bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit and notice what the Bible says. Remember what we said about the promises, that when God gives you a promise, he transfers what? Life to you. Romans 8 verse 2. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death says God will not hear you when you cry and he will not be able to reach you because of your sin. That's the law of sin and death. It means you are separated from your father. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus says you and your father are back in perfect relationship. And this is what I want you to understand. So when God gives you a promise, I want you to key number one. And please, there are, there are three keys. We'll get through all three by the end of next week. There, this is key number one. Remember, this is, this is, hold on to this. When you understand that the promises of God in Jesus Christ to you are yes and amen, that means they can happen. All of a sudden, Satan's ability to stop your harvest has been removed by stealing he can't steal it that means it's yours and we move to the next stage ladies and gentlemen let me answer the questions that i have we will go on to the second key next week the second and third key next week should be fun will be a little bit more structured but it should be a bit of fun this is key but i got one question and the question was this so the question is so pastor are you saying that the promise requires faith for it to be activated so what I'm going to do, ladies and gentlemen, is let me run you quickly. I'll run you through some of the examples that I just mentioned. And you'll realize faith is necessary for the promises to come to pass. It requires faith. But what is faith? Let's go to... Let's go to um, a definition will answer that so when we say there's you have to have faith to activate the promises i agree you do good question so where is that described come with me to hebrews 11 and then we'll go from verse one the bible says the following the bible says now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen the bible says the following the Bible says, for by it, the elders obtained a good report. But let me skip down to verse six to answer your question. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
So what does that faith mean? It means that God is who he says he is. He can and has done what he says he will do. And he's willing to do it for you. Pause for a moment. Come with me to one example. I'll put it into the chat. Mark 5, and I'm going to start from 25. Mark 5, 25, and I'm going to read to 35, and I'm just, I'll read quite quickly. This gives us, a, this is a great example. And a certain woman who had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and had not been better any, but rather came to worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may but touch only his clothes, I will be cured. And instantly the fountain of her blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And knowing instantly within himself that power had gone out of him, Jesus turned himself around in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had been done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be whole from your plague. So that's one example. Notice, what was her faith? She believed that Jesus was who he says he was, that he could do what he said he could do, but more than that, he was willing to do it for her. And then the miracle happened. Let me go to another example. Uh, we've got four minutes. I uh, Hopefully we can get to this one. Luke 17. Yes, Luke 17, 11 to 15. Um, I'll read to... And I will read it in the Amplify Classic. And this will be our last example. Just to, your question is fantastic and it really has helped. Luke 17, reading from 11 to 18. Luke 17, 11 to 18. And the Bible says, as he went on his way to Jerusalem, it occurred that Jesus was passing along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into one village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and they raised their voices and called Jesus master, take pity and have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go, go at once and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cured and made clean. Then one of them, upon seeing that he was cured, turned back, recognizing and thanking and praising God with a loud voice. Notice. He recognized, that means he knew who Jesus was. He acknowledged that this is what you've done. The Bible then says he felt prostrate at Jesus's feet, thanking him over and over. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Verse 18, was no one found to recognize and give thanks and praise God except this alien? 
verse 19. This is what Jesus says to him. He said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith, your trust and confidence that spring from your belief in God has restored you to health. Notice, Jesus said, your faith. What did the, the, the Samaritan believe? He recognized that you are someone special. I know who you are. Because of what you've done, I recognize that you must be God's son. I recognize, and he came back and he was thanking God. The Bible says that he came back and was, he, he wasn't necessarily thanking Jesus. He was thanking God. Listen, please, please, please hear me and hear me well. He knew who Jesus was. That is what it means to have faith, to activate promises. So when God says, by the stripes of Jesus Christ, you are healed. My acceptance and belief of that is that because of who Jesus is and because of the person who said it, which is God Almighty, I now believe and I now claim that for myself. And I begin to speak that over myself, making a direct connection. The Bible says that is what it means to believe, to believe that God is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. And he's willing to do it for you. That activates the promises. Ladies and gentlemen, we're out of time. Let's say a prayer tonight. I really hope tonight has blessed you. You can listen back if it's been a little bit too fast or a little bit too much. You can break it down. That's what. So you go from reading and listening to studying, meditating and confessing. Ladies and gentlemen, may God keep you and may God bless you. May you have a wonderful evening. And if you are believing God for a miracle, we join our faith with yours. We believe that God can do what he has promised you to do. We also believe that God will do what he has promised to do for you. But most of all, we believe that God is willing to do whatever is necessary to cause his word to come to pass in your life. May God bless you and may God grant you an absolutely amazing week. Have a wonderful evening, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll see you in a week.